as we come to Jesus this morning, as you come to Jesus, do you come with a bold and a hopeful heart? Or do you come with a crusty, cynical heart? I look at a lot of my favorite Christmas movies. You see this difference between two kinds of hearts played out. You, you could talk about the Grinch who stole Christmas. And you see the contrast between the Who's in Whoville who have such joy about the season and the Grinch who I think is played best by Jim Carrey who hates everything about it. You see two totally different responses to the season. You see it in Miracle on 34th Street. You remember the, the main couple, Fred and Doris. Fred has a very receptive heart to the season, and Doris is more skeptical, crusty. There was one conversation where she said, by filling children full of fairy tales, they grow up considering life a fantasy instead of reality. Fred would later say, look, Doris... Someday you're going to find out that your way of facing this realistic world just doesn't work. And when you do, don't over, overlook those lovely intangibles. You'll discover those lovely intangibles are the only things that are worthwhile. The cynicism reached its peak, perhaps, in uh, Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> or if you remember, Max looked at his friend John and said, Do me a favor, put your lip over your head and swallow. It's <laughs> a lot of great lines in that movie. <laughs> but when you think about the response, especially in uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas or Miracle on 34th Street, it's, it's not such a big deal when we're talking about, I'll be careful here, fictional characters from the North Pole. But our response to a very real Savior who came into this world whether it's bold and hopeful as we come to him this morning or crusty and cynical as a matter of life and death. And I'd ask you again before we jump in, which heart are you coming to him with? We're going to see the two options played out as Jesus continues in his ministry. You remember he didn't come to simply be a baby in a manger. He came to seek and save what was lost. And that mission would eventually lead him to a cross where he died for our sins and the sins of the world. And he rose again. That's what his ministry was about. We're going to look at a particular encounter in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. I'm going to say up front that when we talk about the two different responses, the Pharisees in this story are going to be the ones who represent that crusty, cynical response. They had seen some of what Jesus had already done in Jerusalem, and it was their job to come check out this prophet who was in town. Is he someone we should accept or someone that we should protect the people from? There were a few who had open hearts. You'll remember Nicodemus. He had already met Jesus. So I don't want to throw the whole group into this category. But many of them were crusty and cynical. It didn't start out that way for the Pharisees. We believe they started shortly after the Israelites returned from their exile in the Old Testament. And Ezra the priest reminded the people of the importance of the law. 
and why they had been removed from their land because they had disobeyed it. And this group called the Pharisees, which means literally the separated, began to take it upon themselves to say, we don't want to get exiled again. So let's be very careful to follow what God has told us. It started out good as many things do. You know that sometimes things start out good and passionate and they have a way of spiraling down. There's a challenge for us as we think about church and missional community and other things. They can start out with a passion and a fire and quickly become something cold and cynical if we're not careful. They started out good. As I said, it was their job. But many of them had crossed over into crusty, cynical world. You'll remember at the end of his ministry, Jesus had some strong words for these same Pharisees. He said, you're hypocrites. You're hypocrites. You, you talk about outside cleanness, but your hearts are filled with sin. You focus on the minor stuff like tithing, but, but you don't care for your parents. You don't honor them. You care about what people think about you more than what God thinks about you. And you know the scriptures that point to me, but you refuse to come to me. Many of them had crossed over. Many of them were in this group today trying to find out, stay on the edge and watch what's going on with this guy. Alexander McLaren said this about this type of mindset. Some noses are keen to smell stenches and dull to perceive fragrance. Know anybody like that? Ever been like that? The International Bible Commentary said this about this group. Those Pharisees and teachers of the law whom Luke introduces here were the type who grow so old and crusty in their minds that one might well have doubted whether they ever had been children. <laughs> one more, it's a calamitous thing when any person fails to carry into maturity some of the everlasting meaning of the child's expectancy and desire. These men had lost some of what was important to bring when we come to Jesus, that childlike, expectant, simple faith. Now watch what happens. It says the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. This is a very interesting statement. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. You know what that tells us? Jesus, fully God and fully man, had laid aside the use of some of what it meant to be God. Not his deity itself, but the use of some of that. And as he was here as the perfect son of man, son of God, he was dependent upon his father. He was dependent on the Holy Spirit to do the work within him. That's why we see him getting away so often to pray. That's why we see Luke telling us over and over he was filled with the Spirit. So it says the, when it says the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick, it means that God the Father wanted to do some healing that day. And he'd supplied the necessary power to do so. Jesus would later talk about doing only that which his Father was doing. It's a good reminder for us as God's children, following in Jesus' footsteps. We need the power of God to accomplish the ministries he's laid before us. But I want you to see a contrast here. We talked about the crusty, cynical Pharisees. Check out this next group of guys. A paralytic, a man who had been paralyzed, we don't know how long. He had four friends. It said, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat 
and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Other gospel authors tell us we're in Capernaum here. It's possible that this is Peter's house again. That's where Peter lived. We don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us, but it's definitely the same town. They tried to carry this paralyzed man in. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. You, on the one hand, you got these cold, crusty Pharisees sitting back. We're going to keep an eye on this guy. And this group, you've got a bold group with some childlike faith, right? They are bold in their attempt to get their friend to Jesus. They show up and the house is packed. The people are probably flowing out the front door. They could have given up at that point, right? Uh, we'll come back some other time. But no, they, they go up the outside staircase up to the roof, which was usually flat at that time, and begin to pull it apart. And you can imagine inside the party, people look up as, as dirt and dust starts flying down. What, what's going on? And then they see a man in a stretcher, and they, they see the stretcher start to come down in front of Jesus. These men had some bold, childlike faith. The, the man on the stretcher, who had been paralyzed, had some bold faith because he wouldn't have allowed them to do that if he didn't want to. And you know what I see here is often we become bold when we realize that we're desperate. This paralyzed man had lived for who knows how long unable to move. He knew his need. He represents what Luke would later say, whoever is hungry shall be satisfied. Those who recognize their need when they encounter Jesus come to him boldly because they realize they're desperate. I want you to watch this video. Some of you may know Andrew Bogdanoff. He's a, a local guy in the Tri-Cities. He's a brother of a friend of Carolyn's. He had an accident within the past year or so where he was injured snowboarding and he is now paralyzed on the lower half of his body. I want you to see the kind of boldness sometimes folks in that, that situation come to when they're put in that situation. This video I'm going to show you is a video of him learning to take his wheelchair down a, downstairs. That's something you or I wouldn't try because we're not desperate to try that. We can walk. He was desperate to learn how to go downstairs again. I want you to watch this. Boldness. See that? That was just a month or two ago. That's boldness. He knew he needed to figure that out, and he went for it. This paralytic was bold. He knew he had a need, and nothing was going to stop him from, from coming to Jesus. I think about this kind of boldness in another favorite Christmas movie of mine. It's a wonderful life. Where George Bailey, when, when his world starts crashing in, he says, dear father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. Show me the way. And he meets the angel Clarence and Clarence shows him this nightmare of life without him. And after that nightmare, you see the boldness come back again. George is saying, Clarence, Clarence, help me, Clarence, get me back, get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please, please. 
I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. (laughs) Some of us this morning need to come to Jesus with that kind of boldness. We need to look at our lives and admit, you know what? Without his help, without his salvation, without his redemption in my life, in my marriage, in my temptations, in my struggles, in my trials, I'm dying here. So I'm going to come boldly this morning and ask him for the help that I need. What I see in this group of friends is no excuses. I look at them and I think about all the excuses we have these days for not coming to Jesus. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to listen. I'm too busy to read my Bible. I don't go to church because there's a bunch of people there that sin. I haven't found one that plays my exact type of music and I don't like the coffee. If these men had been like that, they would have given up when they saw the house was full. But you know what? They're like, no, we're getting to Jesus. No excuses. Some of us need to adapt, adopt, excuse me, that no excuses attitude in our relationship with Jesus. There is nothing going to keep me from coming to him with my need today. Nothing. The other thing you see here that's beautiful is how God responds to friends that bring their friends to Jesus. This is so beautiful, these friends. I hope you have friends like this. I hope you're a friend like this. One man said this, earnestness in striving to come oneself or to bring a dear one to Christ's feet seems an absurd waste of energy to a cynical critic who feels no need of anything that Christ can give. That's probably what the Pharisees were thinking. What are these idiots doing? But it looks rather different to the paralytic on his couch and to the friends who long for his healing. God responds to the faith of others when they bring their needy friends to him in prayer as well as in person. Obviously, what am I not saying here? I'm not saying that your faith can somehow save your friend from their sins, but... God listens. When you think about that situation in your life, that friend who is struggling and hurting, and you take the time to bring them before him in prayer, you take the time to bring them to church. I talked to someone this week who's, who's working on uh, a homeless person that they've encountered in two different places. And they called me and they said, hey, I want to invite him on a Sunday morning. And I said, that'd be awesome. This person is working on bringing this homeless individual to the Savior they need. They're also working on finding some shelter for this person. God loves it when we take the time to bring our friends to Jesus. The other thing these friends remind us of and the paralyzed man reminds us of is we cannot come to Jesus on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to draw us to him. It's a beautiful picture of salvation as we'll we'll talk about a little bit later. But the next point I want to make is that often when we come to Jesus, he gives us far more than we ever dreamed of asking him for. Sometimes we ask way too little when we come to Jesus. This this man, what was his desire in coming to Jesus? Yeah, he can bet it's to walk. You've been paralyzed maybe your whole life. You want to walk. What's Jesus' first response? Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. 
And I don't know if that was a shock to this man, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever gotten an answer in prayer from God that you're like, that's not what I was looking for. That no or that wait or that something else. Maybe this man had that response. He believed, as Tim Keller wrote that, hey man, if I could just walk, maybe maybe this is the mindset. If I could just walk, I would be happy. If I could just walk, man, life would be awesome. I would have no more pain, no more suffering. It would be great. And some of us think that about things in this world too. If I could just have this, if I could just have this situation fixed, this one. But listen to what Alexander McLaren said. No tinkering with superficial discomforts will avail to heal the deep wound through which our lifeblood is ebbing out. We need something that goes deeper than all those Only a power which can deal with our sense of sin and soothe that into blessed assurance of forgiveness is strong enough to grapple with our true root of misery. It's useless to give a man dying of cancer medicine for zits. That is what all attempts to make man happy and restful while sin remains unforgiven are doing. Jesus is saying, I know you're paralyzed, but there's a deeper issue here. It's your separation from my Father because of your sin. I'm going to give you something more than you ever dreamed of even asking. Have you staked your claim for happiness on anything short of that restoration to your relationship with God the Father? Cynthia Heimel knew many celebrities, Hollywood folks. Listen to what she wrote. They had staked their hopes on things of this world, as we sometimes do as well. Many of the ones that she knew. She said she knew many who climbed from obscurity to fame, actors, actresses. And here's what she wrote. She said, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened. That fame had happened. And listen to this, nothing changed. They were still them. She writes, the disillusionment turned them howling, and insufferable. So this, the Bible says that our real problem is that many of us are building our identity on something other than Jesus Christ. Jesus would not allow this man to settle for the smaller answer alone. But Jesus telling this man, your sins are forgiven, opened up a can. Okay? Look at verse 21. You remember the Pharisees are there watching on? Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I want to tell you they were right in their understanding that only God can forgive sins. Your mind's whirling right now because you're thinking, there have been times I've forgiven someone. And, And that's true in that sense. If someone specifically wrongs you, you can forgive them. 
But this man hadn't done anything to Jesus in his earthly life. He hadn't stolen from Jesus in his earthly life or he hadn't lied to Jesus. So they're looking at Jesus and saying, how can you forgive him? His sins were were done against God alone. Only God can forgive sins. One man said it like this. You got Tom, Dick, and Harry. Harry punches Tom. Dick can't say, I I forgive you, Harry. (laughs) You know, only Tom can say, I forgive you, Harry. And you get the point. Only the one offended can forgive the sin. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, I like what one man said here. He said, in a typical dialogue form of question and counter question, the challengers are impaled on the horns of a hypothetical dilemma. <laughs> That's often what Jesus did, right? I mean, someone would ask him a question. He's like, I got one for you. And they're left standing there, kind of like maybe we are this morning. What's the answer? Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Well, the truth is each of them are equally easy to say, right? You could speak the words your sins are forgiven or you're healed, but only one can be proven by sight. It would be easy to say your sins are forgiven and no one could prove whether it happened or not. But Jesus says, you know what? So that you know what I said happened in the invisible spiritual realm, I'm going to show you something. Verse 24 I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. There's your proof. You doubt that I could forgive his sins? Watch this. Can you imagine the room? watching this man who had been paralyzed pick up his bed and walk out. And I I see something here that I want to say. Before we come to Jesus, just like that paralyzed man, we can do nothing on our own to better our sinful situation. We're paralyzed in our sin. A more powerful word that Paul uses is we're dead in our sins. Before we come to Jesus, we can do nothing to better our sinful situation. After we come to him, The Holy Spirit draws us for forgiveness. We can do everything he commands. Did you notice that in the story? The guy couldn't get himself to Jesus, but after Jesus encounters him, forgives his sins and heals him, Jesus says, do something, and he can do it now. And that's true of you and I. You may be looking at life saying, man, I've been trying on my own, and I can't turn this around. I can't do what's right in this situation. I can't do the hard thing, say the loving thing, forgive this person, you name it. But we come to Jesus and he, and he heals us, he forgives us, and he gives us the power we need to do exactly what he's told us to do in our situation. Daryl Bach says, the ability of the paralyzed man to resume his walk of life is a picture of what Jesus does when he saves Jesus' message is a liberating message. Verse 26 shows the response. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The Greek word remarkable is paradoxa. It's where we get 
paradox from? Paralyzed people don't walk. <laughs> this was a paradox right in front of them. This paralyzed man now walked, and they were amazed. You know what? The same thing can happen in our lives today. I don't know what situation you're in, but when Jesus encounters it and brings his power and grace and healing into it, he can do such a work in your life, in your situation, that those around you say, wow, I didn't see that coming. I thought that person was done. I, I was giving up. But Jesus steps in and brings something worthy of our all. As we close, I want to read one final quote. Our Lord's miracles not only demonstrated his deity and his compassion for needy people, but they also revealed important spiritual lessons about salvation. They were object lessons to teach spiritually blind people what God could do for them if only they would believe in his son. Father, I come before you and I look at these two groups. Cold-hearted, cynical Pharisees and teachers of the law who completely missed you, Jesus. Because they weren't ready for what you were bringing to the table. They weren't willing, some of them, to even evaluate it honestly. They were closed-hearted. Now look at the faith of the, this man and his friends. Nothing would keep them from you because they believed in what you could do. And I pray for us in this room. I, I ask us in this room to think for a moment, which better represents my heart this morning? When I look at the situations in my life, am I cold and cynical? Have I given up that Jesus can work here? Have I written him off? Or am I bold and hopeful? There ain't nothing going to keep me from his feet. I'm bringing it this morning, Jesus. And I want you to do a miracle in my life. I want you to heal my marriage. I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to give me the power to forgive that family member and reconcile this Christmas season. Jesus, please do some work in our hearts right now. Help us not to settle for, for small prayers that far, fall, fall far short of what you could offer us, Lord. Help us to ask you for the big things, like real joy, forgiveness, real peace, real sense that I'm right with the Father, the ability to make a difference in the world. Jesus, you offered all this because you took our sin to the cross. That's why you could say to that paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. You were going to pay for his sins just as you paid for all of ours, but we need to receive it. room have done that. And if not, come to Jesus this morning and say, I need that forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sin and rose again. I receive that healing. And then bring to him those other things as well. You see in this story, Jesus, it's not that Jesus didn't care about the paralysis. He obviously did. He dealt with the deeper issue and then he 
through the icing on the cake. Some of you are praying for some icing on the cake this morning. God, I pray that you would bless these people and their relationships, their jobs, whatever it is that's heavy on their hearts, their finances. Jesus, please meet needs this morning. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.